All right, good morning. How you guys doing? Good morning, Trailhead. All right. Um, it, it is good to be back. It, it really is. And uh, uh, Steve is my friend, and I uh, miss seeing his face. I hope he's, he's well. And um, I actually received a text from him this morning, and I know that he's praying for me. Uh, let me say this to you uh, just uh, on the note that um, uh, Den just mentioned. Um, I know that these conversations, race, culture, ethnicity, that these are not easy conversations. Um, but I think they're necessary conversations. Um, let me submit this to you. If someone asked you, how do you think the church, the evangelical church in America has dealt with race issues? Um, if you were giving a grade, um, you probably, if you're being honest, you probably wouldn't give the evangelical church in America a very high grade. Particularly if you think about um, uh, the responses and um, things that came, you know, let's say after a Ferguson or something like that, we, we recognize that like maybe we weren't as far, far along as we thought in race relations. So if you can at least concede that, that yeah, you know what, I thought we were further along, but I see like these conversations are still very, very uncomfortable after many, many, many years of, of this racial dialogue in America. And the church doesn't seem like, the evangelical church in America doesn't seem like we are very much further along than even those who are in the world and don't know Christ. So what I would suggest to you is this. What we've tried in the past has uh, been more of um, to quote scriptures like this. There's no Jew, no Greek, no Gentile, right? We're all unified and everything's good to not talking about it, to even having a mindset that, hey, to talk about things of race and culture, that's what brings the division, right? And I've heard all those things. So if that's the case, if, if, at, you know, if at this point, like, man, it's just like, you know, it's really uncomfortable, this is really hard, just think about the other, like, how, how has that worked out for us in the church to not have conversations like this, to not have series like this, right? Um, as I said before, if nothing else, we can admit that, hey, we, we, we felt like we were further along in this type of dialogue, in this type of understanding what, what, what unity really looks like uh, in the body of Christ is ethnically diverse. And so what I would say to you is your church leaning into this, leaning into this conversation, doing this series is the, is, is the proper thing. It is the good thing. It's hard, Right? And what makes it hard is we don't often have these conversations, right? It really takes practice. Now, I, I, I kind of do this for a living, right? I mean, I, you know, and Christian circles talk about race, culture, diversity. Um, and, and, and so I know that it takes practice. Now, minorities, uh, our, our conversations about race and culture um, start out of necessity growing up. And so, um, we, you know, we have advanced degrees and talking about race and culture, things like that. Now, m many of you, you probably didn't grow up having a lot of conversations about race, culture, and things like this. You were probably, I won't say probably, some of you may have been told that, you know, to, you know, like, you know, you don't talk about race, right? You know, the idea, the, the goal is to be colorblind, and, and colorblind means that you don't ever bring up anything related to race, right? Um, and, and so, but what happens with that is you don't grow, Right? Hey, there's a certain managing of emotions that you have to practice, right, in these conversations, right? We all feel it. So, like, you're having that conversation, and, like, something on the inside begins to go, you know, and you're like, oh, you know. Then you want to go, go back to comfort, go back to comfort, go back to comfort, which is, you know, to push away and not talk about it. But it's just like working out. You need to practice, right, right? The more you learn to manage your emotions, the more you learn right, to challenge some of the mindset, some of the paradigms that you've had for so many years, right, that sometimes our circles that we run in just continue to confirm the, all the stuff that we already believe, consciously and unconsciously, right? But if there's never anything that kind of challenges that and helps us to be able to deconstruct or help us to at least critically analyze to say, hey, you know, do do I know that to be true from experience as I think about this group of people, whatever that group of people is, right? Um, so, to say, so it may be difficult, right? Here's the other challenge. The other challenge is to think in terms that, hey, Brother Layton, this is not the gospel. We are getting off track. It is the gospel, right? Okay? So here, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me share this with you. 
instead of just thinking like, like the, the, the gospel message is part of the kingdom of God, right? That's, that's a part, right? That's our admonition, you know, that's our call to go out and preach the gospel. But as it relates to the kingdom of God, right, and the way that we ought to live and the way that we ought to practice, right, there's so much more, right? You hear what I'm saying? So the gospel, that is our, all right, our, our, our admonition, our charge, is to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, right? Okay? But when we think about, you know, the gospel, we, we often think in terms of like, okay, that is, that is what we're called to do. That is all of what we're called to do. And so if there are any of these other things out there, right, we're off message. But that's not true. Think in terms of the kingdom of God, right, and what we're called to do and how we're called to be, right, as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus, right, Jesus, the messages of Jesus weren't only about people receiving the message of Christ that he was bringing, was it? Think of the parables. What's he teaching with with the Good Samaritan? What's he teaching? What is he teaching as he interacts with the Samaritan woman that the disciples looked at him and said, why are you talking to her? And why are we even here in Samaria? Right? What's going on there? Jesus is teaching us how to be citizens in the kingdom of God. Yes, the gospel is part of that. That's our admonition. But there is a way that we are supposed to be internally. There is a way that we are supposed to be in the society that we're a part of. Right? So Proverbs, let me step back. My mind's all over the place. So many places I want to go. Let me rein it back in. All that to say, the series that you're in, where your pastor is leading you, is good. Is it hard? Yes. Is it right? Yes. Is it biblical? Yes. Is it kingdom? Yes. Right? Is it new for some of us? Yes. Have we often are, do, seen those things as going together? No. Hey, here's one. Here, here's historically. Here's here's the thing historically, right? So, kind of at the turn of the century, you had mainline denominations. You know, whether it be Lutheran, Catholic, right, uh, Episcopalian, right, that that gave themselves over to what people call the social gospel. And I don't like that term because it like it, it has a negative connotation now, or at least has a negative connotation. You know, maybe with you know kind of conservative groups, right? Um, and so what happens is, and so, they, so, so those mainline denominations, right, they're giving themselves over to, you know, soup kitchens, orphanages, right? They're the ones that are doing heavy social justice stuff, right? All right, and so, you know, people, someone coined the phrase social gospel, okay? But then you have, you know, kind of the fundamentalists that would later, you know, become kind of the, you know, conservative evangelicals that are concerned about souls and inerrancy of Scripture, right? So what happens is you kind of get this weird, you know, prioritizing so fundamentalist conservatives are prioritizing. It's souls. It's all about souls. Mainline denominations, it's about work. It's about taking care of the poor, the needy, the oppressed. Right? And so we have this kind of thing going on. To where now some think that preaching the gospel, right, that's the most important thing and everything comes out of it. Right? That's not how the Bible presents it. It's not. It's not how Jesus presented it. This is the kingdom of God thing. Jesus is like, yes, yes, all of that. This is how you are as a kingdom citizen. To care about marginalized people in the community you're sovereignly a part of. To be a voice for the voiceless. To internally, in the body of Christ that's ethnically diverse, right? to suffer well with those marginalized groups that are part of the body of Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 26. This is gospel, this is the Bible. But we haven't often thought about that, right? Hey, we are all, we are all, we all are biased and suffer from conscious and unconscious bias, ethnically and racially. We are, all of us. To the degree that you can acknowledge that is to the degree that the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to talk about that, 
the Holy Spirit can enter into your mind and challenge some of that thinking and shift it and break it up. And cause you to think more kingdom-minded about these things and not partisan. Right? Let the Lord challenge all those things. Right? For years, all of us, we've been inundated, right, with thoughts and messages, whether they're from families and friends and circles we run in, whether from TV and media, we're bombarded. And many times, we don't ever challenge those assumptions. And many times, we don't take a step back and say, Lord, Holy Spirit, these things. And that's where we got to be. Hey, what God has given you, what your pastor has given you, is an opportunity, right, to get at some of that stuff that God's wanted to get at for years. Where else are you going to get an opportunity for someone to, to, to challenge you to lean in to some of those stereotypes, some of those biases, some of those prejudices? Where else are you going to go? Oh, Lord, I need these things challenged in me. I know I do, right? And by the way, I, I listened to that first sermon your pastor preached. My, I have to say this, and he doesn't know I'm going to say this. He'd probably bless if he heard this. It has been a long time. I, I, I travel all over the country and talk and speak and do kind of what I'm doing now, right, and other things. It has been a long, long time since I have heard a pastor challenge his congregation like in that first message. I was like, whoa. But you know what excited me? And this is what I'll say about that. And this is what you should want for every, any church that you're a part of, the, whoever is pastoring you, this is what you should want. You should want a pastor that loves God and the mission of God more than you. Not that he doesn't love you. You know your pastor loves you. Don't hear what I'm not saying. You know your pastor loves you. He does. And he laid down his life for you. But this is what I'm saying. He loves God more. You know how I know? Because that was not a message that you preach when you're trying to keep people in the seats and you want everybody to like you and you're afraid of getting emails. The hairs on the back of my neck were standing up when I heard that message. I'm like, whoo, whoo. Right. And I'll say this too, right? Pray for your pastor because pastors like the pastor you have that love the Lord God more than they love you the devil will attack them. They, he will. Because your pastor's a threat, because he challenges you, then this congregation can move and change, right? It's like Jesus called, like Jesus didn't only call out the Pharisees, man. Jesus called out the disciples. Peter, what's going on with you, man? That's the devil talking through you. You had a pastor. Right, who's being used by God. But pray for him because the devil's not concerned about the pastors that, you know, kind of give these soft sermons, you know, um, uh, and, and, and kind of more consumer in their approach, you know. But, but bless you, you have, you have, a, you have a, a pastor that loves the Lord more than you, loves you as well. Um, but, but all that just as, a, just, as, just as an encouragement. All right, I'm going to move quickly. I, I spent a lot of time out there. All right. <laughs> All right, so we uh, the first uh, in this series, the first uh, 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 message was the beauty of diversity. Um, next was the source of diversity uh, by Pastor Steve. I did the first one. Third was unity and diversity, and so we're talking about the challenge of diversity. Um, so let me let me let me let me talk and read uh, through this as we talk about the challenges of diversity. As the new church, uh, New Testament church began to grow, it grew in its ethnic diversity. As the gospel was preached in Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, okay, that message goes out, right? Remember, God's plan of redemption always included the nations. This is Genesis 12, 3. That was always the plan, okay? But as the church grew in its ethnic diversity, it began to encounter ethnic and cultural challenges. The challenges of ethnic diversity within the church is nothing new. This is how we know. I'm going to quickly go to Galatians 3, 28. You can go there if you want, or you can just write it down if you're taking notes. And this is how we know that ethnic diversity was a challenge from the beginning. Galatians 3.28 says this, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul need to say that? 
because darn it, they were partisan to their group. Although they were all believers, it's nothing new. It's not a new thing, right? Here we go, Colossians 3.11. Colossians 3.11. Here there is no Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 through 14. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. There may be different historical reasons for divisions, but make no mistake, ethnic diversity does bring with it cultural challenges. It does. It does. Um, I'll quickly talk about this. Um, so the school I work at, Westminster Christian Academy, Westminster is located in town and country in St. Louis. It's a very affluent part of St. Louis, predominantly white. I mean, demographically, I mean, think of, I think the minorities there, probably less than 1%, right? Um, uh, so those who are living in the area are removed from ethnic minorities and also they're removed from those from a lower socioeconomic, uh, 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 socioeconomic status. Um, so, so, since I've been there, our uh, part of my job uh, is is helping to help the school um, to become more sensitive and aware to minorities, so that we may attract minority Christian families and retain them. Okay, right. So I've done a lot of work with teachers and staff, helping them see. Right, here are things you know that minority parents and students think about in predominantly white spaces, right? And how can we help the students? How can we help the teachers? Most of our staff is white. How can we help them have a better understanding of how to interact with minority students and minority parents, right? So our, 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 uh, our diversity has grown, which is great, right? Our school is a better school because of the diversity that's there. It is. However, culturally, when you are, have a group that is growing in its diversity, there are cultural challenges. One we ran into um, was a few years back, um, there was a young lady, African-American young lady, she was on the volleyball team, and she uh, was very connected to what was going on socially in the African-American community, uh, deaths of uh, violence towards African-Americans. It was during the summer where there there was a shooting uh, up in Minnesota, there was another shooting in uh, New Orleans, Philando Castile, uh, Alton Sterling. It was the same summer, summer that there were five police officers shot in Dallas. So it was kind of a crazy summer of, of racial and ethnic tension. Um, and so she decided that she, and it was also the, 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 sum, the summer that Colin Kaepernick knelt for the first time in protest against violence against African Americans. So this young lady at her school um, decided to decided to kneel uh, at a volleyball game. I think she told two of her two of her teammates uh, and hadn't told the her coach. And so she kneels at this game, and all H E L L broke loose. Okay, in our community on both sides. We have many, not all, we have many uh, white parents who were furious. One of you know parents were calling her out like that the, the night of that it was it, you know it was it was it was not good uh, and so uh, and then we had we had African American parents that were very proud of her right they're very proud she was taking a stand right they're sympathizing and empathizing with the challenges in the uh, the, the you know African American community and so anyway um, needless to say uh, that was one of those cultural issues where. The culture on both sides wanted the other to understand something that they deemed very precious to them culturally, right? And so, man, it was countless. It was a, very, it was a hard thing. It was hard things. We had you know parents that were calling for her. She should be suspended. She should be expelled. You know, um, you know, we, we had black parents on their side. I'm caught in the middle. I'm getting it from both parents. White parents turning against me. Black parents turning. Against me. Black parents tell me, "Hey, you're not supporting her enough." Oh, man, it was, it was tough. So, so we, as an administration, we, 
we were at a loss and we just tried, we methodically worked through it. We're like, hey, let's not rush to implement, you know, some sort of new rule law or anyway. Anyway, um, at one point we went to um, former head of school who's still there, kind of has emeritus status, and he, he does something. He's a very, very wise man, longest tenured uh, head of school at Westminster. And we went to him and, and just tried to get some wisdom on how to navigate this thing. And uh, one of the things he said, he said, you know, um, diversity is a beautiful thing, particularly in a Christian context. And uh, he said, but he said, sometimes when, you know, that diversity is growing, he said, things can get a little sticky and a little messy. And he said, not, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, you know, he said, yeah, you know, this is, this is just part of that. Doesn't mean that you can't work through it, right? So that's the hard work of uni. And we were able to move through it. It was tough. It was difficult. We had tons of conversations. We decided, okay, we decided to do the harder thing. Here is the harder thing, to meet with all the parents, to meet with parents on both sides, right, to try to mediate this thing, to take arrows, right, um, and work through this, and to remind the community, hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have stuff to talk about, right? We weren't throwing that out there to just trump everything and say, okay, you need to go away, we can't talk about it. No, no, no. We were saying that so we could remind people of their attitudes and dispositions, right? Because we're kingdom citizens. But we worked through it. Oh, it was hard. We worked through it. And we emerged in a better place, right? Because God is taking Westminster somewhere. He's taking Westminster towards that picture we see in Revelation 7-9. But all that to say, right, things can get a little messy, right? But this doesn't mean that we should shrink back from the challenge. The challenge is a worthy one. At base level, ethnic diversity enriches the church. I remember your pastor said this, and I thought it was incredible, and he's right on because I've, I've experienced the other at Westminster. He said, you know, the lack of diversity, to some extent, leaves you impoverished. I know that our community at Westminster is so much more richer with our Hispanic families and our Korean families and our African-American families, right? They have brought something that did not previously exist there. Another representation of God through culture. and It's rich, right? So it's, it's worth it. It's hard. It's worth it. At the highest level, it is a physical manifestation of what the gospel message produces. The gospel message is what produces what we see in Revelation, that diverse group. That's what the message produces. It always has and it always will. That's what it produces. It's not going to produce just one group. It's not. It's not. It produces the picture we see in Revelation 7 9. All right, so I'm going to quickly review. I've got to get moving here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so here's a review kind of where your pastor's been. Um, we're in Tower of Babel, uh, Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Uh, this is where ethnic diversity begins. It starts as, as, as language diversity. Remember God, you know, they're one people. One people with one language, right? Um, but God, uh, uh, he confuses the languages, he changes the language, and eventually uh, that leads to ethnic and cultural and gen genetic diversity. So, they, so the languages, they group themselves together and they go out, different parts of the country. And over time, all right, that's where those people regionally are, that's where they are from, Right? Okay, and over time, different things happen. The, the, the gene pool of what, what they're dealing with is, is that group, and then this group is over here. Okay, and we have some of those changes that uh, over time began to happen, whether it be skin color, whether it be certain features, you know, based upon where they are regionally, and then also what's going on with just the genetic makeup of those right there. We're not talking about a different species. I know that's, you know, crazy, and no one thinks that anymore, right? Because remember, they're all coming from one people. Um, I think it's important to note this. At the Tower of Babel, before God confuses and changes the language, there were one people seen as equals, operating as equals, equal in the sight of God. This is important. 
So you got to realize, so here's this one people group, right? They're not doing what they're supposed to do, right? They want to exalt themselves. God confuses the language to disperse them, right? Like they were supposed to do anyway, right? He confuses the language, and so they disperse, you know, in, in these groups and categories, or the Bible says tribes, okay? The fact that God confused the languages and they dispersed did not change the quality of their status as they're all still equal, all those groups. And probably at that time, they probably all looked the same and were the same color, and they, we would definitely know they had the same language. So when we think about all these years later throughout history, and we see historical societal hierarchies among ethnic groups, that those were, those were man-made, right? And they were made for selfish gain. Hey, and let me tell you this too, right? <clears throat> There's definitely an overlap between race and kind of socioeconomic, right? Okay? Let me help the, let, let me, let me help the, the conversation and the dialogue because sometimes, man, we really get tripped up on, on, on race. And I wish I had more time to come back and really talk about racism and what it really is and what is meant because i mean i think we miss each other in that conversation but let me say this there's definitely an overlap uh, let me let me let me i'm going to broaden this okay i'm going to broaden this because in other societies where all the people look the same you get the same same type of marginalization right Are you following me right i got a friend from togo right he said my brother he talks like this his name is Macklin. My brother, Aaron, he goes, he goes, in our country, he says, we all look the same. He said, it's not, it's not color. He said, it's tribal. So what are we dealing with? We're dealing with, in every society, there are those who hold the seat of power. They're in charge of the resources. They're in charge of those who are in leadership, right? For lack of a better term, they are the dominant group, right? Or the majority culture. They set the norm for the society, even though you have subdominant groups that are existing there. Okay? Now, majority culture, right? Because you set the norms, it is not a necessity for you to understand the experience of those subdominant groups. The challenge there is, right? It makes it, uh, it you, that majority culture group is highly, right, susceptible to abuse those subdominant groups, right? Because they have some of the blind spots and because those subdominant groups are vulnerable. Now, those subdominant groups have to, for survival's sake, know the norms, the standards, right, of that majority group, right? They have to know those things. But the majority group, they don't have to know what the language is. They don't know, have to know what those norms are, right? And so those subdominant groups, we can even talk, we can talk race, but we can even talk gender, right? Those dominant groups don't have to know what the subdominant groups, right? So what we're talking about biblically, when we talk about the fall, right, we can broaden this, okay, and maybe this will help some, right? We're talking about those within a society who are vulnerable, right? And those who are most susceptible to abuse. Hey, God is laying the law down back in Deuteronomy and Leviticus about how you should treat vulnerable people. What is that all about? God knows. Because of the fall in every society, there's vulnerable people, right? So sometimes we got to take it out of that race. Our past is so jacked, right? And part of it is we got to confront that. But even if you take it out of that and we talk about who holds the power, in a society, in a community, right? And who was vulnerable, right? So for every believer, every church, there should be a commitment to kind of internal work, right, in the body of Christ, but external work as it relates to the society that you're in. Jeremiah talks about, you know, seeking, seeking the, the, the welfare of the, of the society. They're in Babylon, right? And they should seek the flourishing of the city. So it should be internal and external. Um, all right. So the historical societal hierarchies among ethnic groups are man-made and selfish. But this is what God does. God creates an ethnic group in order to be his instrument by which the nations of the world would be blessed. Right? He starts that with Abraham. Pastor talked about this last week. He starts out with Abraham. Here is the purpose for Abraham. Abraham was to, to, uh, uh, to make, they, the purpose was to make Abraham the father of all who believed, even for those who weren't circumcised. 
The whole circumcision thing is, okay, that marked you were part of Israel, right? But God had a plan for the nations, those who weren't a part of Israel, but they could still be saved. How? By their faith. They hear the message of God. How was Abraham saved? His faith. He believed in God and it was counted for righteousness, right? So this is how Abraham's going to be a blessing to many nations. God uses, he uh, selects, um, um, elects Israel. Here's the thing, and I like that your pastor quoted, I think he said Leslie Newbegin, an election, that's one of those things too, man. It's hypercharged and gets people theologically all worked out. But I like what he said. He said, think in terms of it being this way. Being elected to responsibility, that changes instead of being like elected to privilege. Hey, even the children of Israel who knew they were, uh, they, they were the elect, even they got it wrong. So they're like, <laughs> we're the elect, right? And they're like, you know, posturing it. And God's like that, that mom or dad that has to put the kid back in place. You know, maybe he had a little baseball game and he went four for four and he thinks he's the stuff. You know, and the parent's like, yeah, you know, I'm kind of thinking that like the last four games, you were like 0 for 16. So, yeah, kind of you know, tamper that down a little bit, you know, all-star, you know. <laughs> so God kind of does the same thing. He's like, Israel, he's like, yeah, I didn't really choose you because you were the most noble or you were the strongest. Actually, you were the weakest. Like, you know, you guys are farmers. You're not even soldiers, you know. And so, you know, so tamp that down a little bit. So the election is dealing with God saying, I need a vehicle, right, to get what I want done, which is, right, to be a blessing to many nations. So I need a people to work with, right? So Israel, you know, you're elected to responsibility. You're on the hook for this, right? And we know that Christ, right, and his humanity comes out of that ethnic group, okay, that God creates, right, our Lord. Jesus and his humanity comes out of that ethnic group to atone for the sins of the world, as the gospel goes out, different and ethnic groups uh, become believers and now begin to encounter early churches that have ethnic and cultural diversity. We're going to talk a little bit about the church in Antioch today. That was a church uh, that became a diverse church, uh, developed as a diverse church, but it was also a church where there were Jewish Christians, right, and we'll read about this, who stepped past cultural norms that said that Jews should not talk in fellowship with Gentiles. But there were some that stepped past that. All right, so uh, turn to Acts chapter 11, our featured focus, focal text there, and I'm going to read that. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 26. And i got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'll tell you about long-winded preachers, man. Go. Speed this along a little bit. All right. Acts chapter 11, verses 9 to 26. When you get there, say amen. amen. All right. I like that. All right. Here we go. Verse, uh, uh, verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of the men, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The, uh, the report of this came to the, early, uh, the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was uh, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Uh, so Barnabas went to, Tar uh, to Tarsus uh, to look for Saul, which is Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught um, a great uh, many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. All right, chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. When you get there, say Amen. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So let me tell you a little bit about the, the church of Antioch. So uh, the early church, okay, uh, that first church there in Jerusalem, Right, that was founded. Remember, uh, the the uh, Jesus says, you know, the the uh, the uh, you will be endued with power. The Holy Spirit's going to come, 
falls on the church, uh, uh, falls on a group of uh, believers gathered together during Pentecost, okay? And so that church there in Jerusalem is established, right? And that was a uh, great church, thriving, thriving, thriving church. It was um, uh, 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 Gentiles uh, were seeing, you know, the, the, what, what God was doing there. But with the church in Antioch, um, in, the, in the book of Acts, because of what was going on there, there was a, the work and move of the Spirit going there. So Acts kind of shifts, right, to this church in Antioch that, is, uh, uh, that was a diverse uh, church. Um, so the city of Antioch is where modern-day Antaka, which is north, northern Syria, okay, not too far from the coast. That's, that's where, where it is. It was the capital of the Roman province in Syria, okay? There were only two cities that were larger than Antioch, and that was Rome and Alexandria uh, in the ancient world. Uh, it was kind of a metropolitan city. Um, they had, uh, it was very advanced. Uh, ac- they had aqueducts, baths, theaters, temples. The Temple of Artemis and, and Her- uh, Hercules was there. They had a pantheon there. Be- Basilica was there. It was dedicated to an empirical cult. So all that to say that this was a, this was a big city, right? Right? And, it, and it made sense that this church was established there, right? because there was a, there was a, there was a lot going on there. Um, but the challenge of ethnic diversity in the, in the uh, early church um, uh, at Antioch, Jewish Christians were persecuted. So how did, how did, this, how did this come about? Um, so Stephen, if you, if you remember the story in Acts, Stephen is, uh, uh, he's prophesying, you know, and, and there are other Jews around that you know, think he's heretical, they stone him and die, and then this persecution goes out to the church. Well, it forces okay, uh, Jewish Christians to leave Jerusalem, you know, and they, they, they head up north and hit a couple cities, and they uh, head up to uh, Antioch as well. Uh, it's, it's important to remember that you had, um, like even with the outpouring of the Spirit in Acts, you had Jews, diasporic Jews, that Jews that were living in other countries. They were Jews, right, but they were living in other countries, and so that's why they came back for for uh, uh, Pentecost, okay? And so uh, they, they were diasporic Jews, right? So there were Jews in other pe- places that, you know, spoke Greek. You know, not all of them do, but you had Hebrew Jews, right? But then you, uh, Hebrew Jewish Christians, and then you had uh, what they would call uh, Greeks, the kind of uh, uh, Jewish Christians that spoke Greek, right? Um, and, and, and so we have this thing going on in Acts. Here's, a, here's another theme that's running through Acts, and this is important to know, um, is he, there, there was a tension in Acts between, there was always tension between Jews and Gentiles, but, but, but this is where the tension as it relates to the mission and the gospel. So the Jewish Christians who were sharing the gospel, right, because of the cultural barrier that they had with Gentiles, they were not going to Gentiles, right, to share the gospel. They were just sharing it with other Jews, right? Okay, and so there, that that you know that was the tension, right? That was the tension that you know, uh, and then we have this situation. Peter in Acts ten, remember Peter has this vision. You remember, you know, probably your Sunday school lesson. Peter and there's like this cloak that comes down. He has this vision. It's all about food, and he's like, Lord, I'm not going to eat anything unclean, you know. And God's like, you know, don't call you know something common that you know that I uncommon that I made common. And it's like, what's that all about? Here's the deal. Um, there was a man named Cornelius who was Italian, right? He was, you know, part of the Italian cohort, so he was a Gentile. But the Bible says that he was a God-fearer, right? And he also gave alms, and he was a good and righteous man, right? He, you know, uh, but he wasn't Jewish, right? So God has him have a vision with an angel, and then uh, the angel says, okay, send some people to go get this guy. Peter, he's going to come and talk to you. So Peter has this vision. Peter, uh, the, the men come and get Peter. So Peter comes, right? He has that vision. And basically what God communicates to Peter is this, right? is that you are not show, supposed to show partiality to the Gentiles. You are to proclaim the message to them as well. So part of the tension in early part of Acts is Jews having to overcome this thought that we don't interact with, with Gentiles because they would make us ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. But God changes that, right? Actually, God, God, God didn't change on that. God was letting them know no, 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 no. You should show no partiality. Your, your mission includes going to the Gentiles as well. So that tension's there. That'll make uh, more sense um, a little bit later. Um, I remember uh, when I was in, um, as, I, as we think through, like, what are the challenges that come with 
uh, diversity? What are the challenges for a church, uh, like a first century church, that come with having different groups? And to be sure, like I said, there are challenges. Um, I remember when I was in college, uh, I had a class, I think it was an African-American history course. We had a black professor and a white professor that taught it, right? You know, they stirred the pot a lot. You know, it was kind of a fun class, but, you know, they played on each other and played on us. Um, and so I remember we were supposed to do a group project, and, and the professors, like, picked our groups. Now, I had, there was a couple friends that I had in class. You know, one guy, I'd, I'd gone to, uh, like, you know, uh, like, we played Little League ball together. He happened to be in my class at, you know, his college, and I played football, and there was a couple of guys. And so, like, I really want to be in their group, right? You know, I knew them, you know, you know. But anyway, so the professor picks our group. So he picks, there's a girl who's white, and she was pregnant, right? And then he, this, this other guy's name was Gautam Bumani. He's from India, right? So he's in our group. And so, man, I'm kind of looking at this group, and I have to be honest, I was just like, oh. I was kind of disappointed. I was just like, you know, and Gautam, he had this very thick Indian accent, and I'm just like, I'm, I can't hardly understand him, and it's awkward, and it's weird, you know, and this girl, she's in her third trimester, man, and she's, you know, like, you know, about ready to, 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 to give birth, and, 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 you know, and she's like, you know, oh, and she's so tired and everything, and I'm like, oh, God, my grade is, you know, resting on, you know, these guys, right, and, and I'm challenged by this, and then, and then, you know, Gotham, he wants to take the lead, and I'm like, I can barely understand you, ah, you know, and just like, you know, and, and, and I needed, I needed, I needed my mind to be fixed and changed, man. It was, I was, I was all over. Now, during the time we had, um, had we kind of did this getting to know you, you know, we were trying to find out, and I shared with them that I was, that I was a Christian. Um, but anyway, man, I just had a bad attitude like this. I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in a group with Gotham. I didn't want to be in a group with this young lady who was pregnant. I was just like, and I'm like, African-American history. I was like, what do they know about anything? I was like, this is going to suck. You're like, ah, you know. Um, <laughs> but I was, I, had, I was, I was, I, I was, I was all over the place. And so um, I needed, I needed a mind shift. And I think as we think about working past some of the biases, unconscious and conscious biases about ethnic groups, right, or inequality and those things, we really need, what we really need is the Holy Spirit to really uh, help us have a mind shift. Your pastor said something um, in one of the sermons. He said that racial reconciliation starts, the first move is in the heart. He's absolutely right, right? We need the Holy Spirit to work. This is what, and we'll see this in the passage, where the Holy Spirit begins to work um, in the hearts and minds of the people. We don't have time for this, but write this down. If you want to see Acts chapter 6, verse, I think, 1 through 6, it gives kind of a, like, like this is where I point people, where I point to, like, here's a case study of where, there is some sort of ethnic conflict that has to be worked out. In short, what happens is um, there's kind of a daily distribution of, 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 of food, right, to widows. And so you have the, 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 the Hebrew Jews, right, that speak Aramaic, but then you have the Greek-speaking Jews. So, so there, were, there were widows, right? And there were the Jewish-Hebrew-speaking widows, right? And during the daily distribution, they were taken care of. You know, they got the food they needed. But the Greek-speaking widows were being often, they were being overlooked for some reason, right? And so some of the, the Greek-speaking men were like, hey, what's up with this? Like, our widows are being overlooked, right? That's a real situation there. And, um, but anyway, read that. You, you see where they have to work things out. Now, don't take, you know, kind of our 20th century issues of race and culture and read into it. But if nothing else, you know, there was a cultural issue that they had to work through. So that's kind of a case study if you want to read that. Um, but this is what we need. We, we really need the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit, meaning we need the Spirit and we need to allow the Spirit to override our thinking, right? We need the Spirit to lead us to inform and manage our mind and our emotions, right? We need that management, right? We also need the Spirit to, to remind us of the truth of our mission, right? Um, we also need the Spirit to move us to action when there's action to take as it relates to uh, ethnicity and race. And we also need to have the Spirit help us to see that equality in leadership as it relates to a diverse group of people is important. It's important to have women in leadership, right? 
It's important to have minorities in real leadership, right? It is, right? And we'll see that. We'll see all those things kind of play out here. All right, I'm moving, moving quickly. All right, first point if you're taking notes. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit in order to, for us to be reminded of the truth of our mission, right? What we're called to do. Right? And again, that mission, that mission and what we're called to do is more than just a gospel. It's not less than that, right? But it's more than that, right? It has to deal with working towards unity and things as well. But we definitely need the Spirit. So uh, verses 19 through 21, Acts 11, 19 through 21 says this, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that rose over, uh, arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenician, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, right? So there were, there were some of the Greeks speaking Jews who only proclaimed the gospel message to other Jews, Right? So they'd receive the message to go, you know, to Judea, Samaria, and other parts of the world. But because they had that cultural block, oh, we don't, we don't, the Gentiles, we don't, right? That thinking. And so their mission, okay, right? And this is faulty. God corrects it later. They're only, they're only sharing with, with, with other Jews, Right? The Jewish Christians are only going to Jews. Okay? But here's an interesting thing that happens here. Verse 20, But there were some of the men, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. So there were other Greek-speaking Jews that they weren't limiting their mission to just other Jews, they were also sharing the gospel and the message to Greek Gentiles. So they, they had moved past that, right? The Holy Spirit had convicted them that the message we received, and this is what even Paul received, was, no, 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 no. This goes beyond this ethnic cultural barrier that I have in my mind, this mission of God, right? Their conviction of the mission surpassed any ethnic and cultural challenges they may have had. These men did not discriminate against the Gentiles. Jews uh, did not socialize with Gentiles. I've already mentioned that, all right? But they pushed past that. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says this in Acts eleven twelve. Peter says this when he's, he's talking to Cornelius in his household. We know that, that the group which were Gentiles, they all get saved. But here's what Peter had to say. Um, he said, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. All right? So those Gentile men, they came and found Peter. And Peter said, the Holy Spirit told me to go with these men without distinction, meaning I should not treat these Gentiles any different than Jews. If there were Jewish, if there were Jewish Christians that came and said, hey, Peter, we need you over here, I would have gone. And Peter's saying, the Spirit told me, you have, you have Gentiles who you need to go and, and be with, and so go. And so Peter did. So the Holy Spirit reminded them the truth of the mission, right? They needed to be reminded so that they would push past uh, some of their cultural baggage. Point two, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit in order for the Spirit to inform and manage our mind, our emotions, and our mentality. This is a big, big point, right? A lot of what needs to be overridden in us, right, is in our mind. Uh, it's in our will and our emotions. Um, verses 22 through 24 say this, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas uh, to Antioch, right? So check this out. So imagine this. Imagine this. So it comes back to the church in Jerusalem that, hey, there are guys up near Antioch. They are preaching the gospel message to Gentiles, Right? Now, the passage says they sent Barnabas up, but how many of you know it took some time for them to wrestle with this idea mentally, right? So think about some of the things that you have had in your mind that you've thought for a long, long time. Those things have to be overridden 
So I can imagine that Jerusalem church, you know, they have a day call for an elders meeting. And they're trying to see how they feel about that. Because culturally, they have, not, they have in their minds a certain way that they view Gentiles. And they'll make them unclean. And they have every excuse on the inside of them about why they should not interact with the Gentiles. I'll use this example. Hey, anybody in here have, have a pit bull dog? Anybody ever had one, like as a pet? Okay, all right. How, were they, you, you probably enjoyed them, loved them, they were cool, right? Okay. I'm going to be honest and put myself out there, okay? I have a very negative, bad view of pit bulls. I do. And when I explore it, and I come back to it, I think about people talking about how vicious they are, people talking about their, their, you know, their, their, their body and their makeup is suited for fighting, right? That, you know, if they bite you, their jaws, like all of this demonization of pit bulls, right? And I bought a whole bunch of it, right? I've never had a negative interaction with one, but that's in my mind. So even last night when I was preaching, there was a couple that had pit bulls, and they said, you know, one guy invited me, he said, you know, you, you could come over and, 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 and see them, right, or, and pet them and stuff, right? And even as he was saying that, I'm saying, I would have to override a lot, right? Because I got all of these visions in my mind. You are the same. As it relates to certain groups or certain people, you are the same. We got all this stuff to override. We need the Holy Spirit to override us. I have never had a negative interaction with a pit bull. Although, when I see them, there's negative things and vibes that just go off on the inside of me. Probably need to go get one, right? I don't see them as cute. I don't see them as, you know, but it's because of those things in my mind. So imagine for years... These Jews that become Christians, they're there in Jerusalem, they have never interacted with Gentiles. Peter even says in the vision, he says, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. What's that all about? That there were things that could make Jews unclean. Peter said, I never have. So if he'd never eaten anything unclean, you know he has never interacted with a Gentile in a way that would cause him to be unclean. So imagine that word comes back to that Jerusalem church. You better believe there had to be some mental stuff going on, right? But they get to the place where they can at least send Barnabas, right? So the Holy Spirit has to override some things in them. And they said, hey, let's send Barnabas up there. Barnabas goes up there, right? Verse 23, and he came and he saw the grace of God and, and, he, was, and he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. Barnabas goes up there. Barnabas also has to overcome his things, right? But the Holy Spirit helps the church in Jerusalem push past their bias, and then it helps Barnabas push past his bias. Now, here's an important part. It says this about Barnabas, right? And I'm gonna, I want you to pay attention to this, and I'm going to have to wrap things real quick. It says that he was, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was a good man. What that means is, Barnabas was one who regularly operated in this way. Holy Spirit, whatever you say to me, regardless of my bias, regardless of my, my you know, how jaded I am, I will yield to what you're telling me about these people or this situation. And I will have faith that, Lord, you'll work it out. I won't allow my fear to overcome, Holy Spirit, what you are telling me to do because I have faith in you. And it says that he was a good man. And so what is that, what, what is that all about? That is all about regardless of how I feel inside, I'm going to do the right thing, even though it may not be prudent for me as it relates to the social group I'm a part of, but I'm going to do the right thing. We need to go back to that where you do the right thing not because Everything is going to work out and you'll never be criticized. You do the right thing because it's the right thing. You do the right thing because that's like your daddy. God is not partial. That's your dad. You are to be like your father and your brother Jesus. You do the right thing because that's who I am, regardless of the situation. 
I heard a story one time, this is not even in my notes, of, of this, this black mother. Her son was accused of murdering um, someone, and he was on trial, and this lawyer was trying to get him off and different things, and mom is at the trial, and the mom noticed something about her son that didn't sound right. So they were taking him, they were taking him away. The trial, they, they had another day of trial, and they were taking him away, and she went to the lawyer. She said, can I see my son? This is a mom. This is her son. She goes to him, and she says, boy, I know you ain't telling the truth. She said, I know you. And she said, whatever you've done, she said, I didn't teach you to lie. She said, you're up there lying. She said, tomorrow you come out, you tell the truth. You tell the truth. Next day, he comes out and tells the truth. Yes, I did it. Blah, blah, blah. He goes to jail. Mom, hey, I didn't raise him to be like that. You tell the truth. said, all my life I told him, you tell the truth and you live with the consequences because the truth, right, that's what you should do. I was like, whoa. She's right. She's right. Don't be bewitched by the culture. Don't be bewitched by this thing of if they can't prove it, then it doesn't matter. It does matter. God sees. You think God's going to let you off the hook? Yeah, it may not happen, right? You think God's going to let you off the hook? He's like, I don't mind. You think you're going to escape for doing things wrong? Hey, behavior matters. Even in the midst of grace, <laughs> behavior matters. I'm tired of that. Behavior matters. How you act as a Christian, praise God for the grace of God, but behavior matters. You ever heard the word holiness? That's not, a, it's not an in vogue term right now. Your behavior matters. Right? All of this is tied together. All right, I got to get going. I got a second service here. All right. Third point we need the Holy Spirit in order to take action, to do what is right. And I'm going to make this quick. So the church, the church in Jerusalem did the right thing. The Holy Spirit convicts them and changes their heart. They send Barnabas like they should. Barnabas takes action. You know what Barnabas does? It says this in the passage Barnabas sees what's going on, right? He goes and gets Paul. Paul, come and see what's going on. God's moving, right? Him and Paul stay there for a year teaching. Here's what I love about this. So you have this diverse church. You have people in the church that are reaching out to Gentiles, right? Barnabas could have been jaded and be like, ah, man, that's not a right work and all this. But listen what Barnabas does. Barnabas treats this church in Antioch that is diverse, that are reaching out to Gentiles, just like he would a Jewish Christian church. Then gets Paul. Right? He goes and gets the bishop, brings them back, and says, we should teach. And they do. He gave the same treatment. He was not biased to say, eh, you know, I'm not really feeling a thing, and so I'm going to kind of give it half service. Yeah, Paul, yeah, it's kind of something going on, but you don't even need to come. Because he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, he says, no, I'm treating this exactly like I would any other church, regardless of who's in it. They need to be taught. They need to be resourced, right? Are we like that? Are we like that? And in closing, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit to promote ethnic equality, okay? If you look in, uh, I don't have time to read again, uh, Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, this is what we see. It mentions four guys. They're all diverse in leadership. Barnabas is a Jew, okay? Simeon uh, was called the black, right? He's probably from Africa. Lucius was from Cyrene, Libya, northern Africa. And Manan was a, he was a Greek aristocrat. That was the leadership in the church, right? So they thought in terms of, here is the leadership, diverse leadership, okay? They weren't bothered by that. They didn't think, hey, the leadership only needs to be uh, the Jewish Christians, or only needs to be Jews. Mm -mm. The Holy Spirit moved them past that part and hey, this is our church. It's growing. Here are the leaders based upon their skill set, gifting, right? We're not moving against that. All right, in closing, application. We need to recognize that we need the Holy Spirit in order to push past and work past ethnic and cultural divisions. But more than that, we need to pray to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. This is what you do. Holy Spirit, you pray all the time, especially when you get into that place where maybe even you're hearing something on TV and you're kind of like, ah, you feel like you're going back into your silo. Holy Spirit, let me have the right perspective. Let me have the kingdom perspective. I'm not on anybody's side. I'm on the Lord's side, right? Let the Holy Spirit challenge you and help you. 
Um, we must regularly deconstruct harmful and ethnic and racial stereotypes and bias. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has to do that working. The Holy Spirit has to tell you when it's time to act, right? When it's time to move out of just, you know, when should you act to push past, you know, uh, these biases that we have, right? There'll be time for action, right? And also, when should we in a gathering, are we supporting, are we working to, you know, uh, towards equality and even in leadership, you know, having the Holy Spirit to work us in those things too, right? So in closing, I'll finish that story really, really quick. Um, so the story of, uh, yeah, I don't have time for it. All right. I got I to gotta go. All right. Um, so in closing, what we need most in our hearts and minds is the Holy Spirit to be full of the Holy Spirit right? And be yielded to what he is saying to you, what is he directing you to do, right? And how we should operate as we move to work past some of our challenges and biases ethnically and culturally. All right, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you are good. Father, I thank you for your servants here in this church. Thank you for Pastor Steve. Bless them. Lord, let them be filled and full of your spirit. Give them direction and guidance, Lord, on this journey, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.